The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'll be your host today. Beth Heaton, the regular host, will be back next week. Now on to today. Are you the parent of a middle school student wondering what she should be doing to lay a strong foundation for success in high school? If so, we'll be addressing some of your concerns and offering suggestions in our segment two. Then for segment three, we'll find out how to find money after you've submitted the free application for federal student aid, otherwise known as the FAFSA. But first, we'll be talking to Kira Tyler, a college coach educator and former admissions officer at Brandeis, who will be discussing how to get the most out of a college visit. Welcome, Kira. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. All right. So, Kira, um, what are some of your ideas about what a student might do to get the most out of a school visit? Like, I was kind of thinking, let's start with maybe what's the minimum a student should do on that school visit? Yeah. So, gosh, okay, the bare minimum is to show up to the school and take either the tour and or the information session. Um, And I think if you're really pressed for time and the best you can do is a quick drive around, um, that this isn't ideal, but it's better than nothing, is to at least just get out, walk around the campus a little bit, go into a building, you know, spend 15, 30 minutes on campus. Sure. Yeah, and actually that's kind of an interesting question. If there's one building that you can pick, um, Mm. like what building do you think it might be? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Good question, Sally. So one building. Um, Well, Well, I'll just tell you. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, Sally. Okay, so I was thinking, I always send students into the student union and or the library, depending on the student and the school. Because mm-hmm. the student union, you can get a sense, hopefully there's students hanging out there, you can get a sense of the cross-section of humanity, maybe what some of the popular organizations are. Mm-hmm. And if the kid's really nerdy, and I use that term very affectionately, I went to a very nerdy college, proudly <laughs> call myself a nerd, uh, the library can be a good place to go as well. Yep, I was leaning towards the student union because I think that's a really great way to get a feel for the entire, like hopefully an entire cross-section of campus. So, you know, you get to affectionately use your term, the nerds, you get the artistic kids, you get the sorority chicks, you get the athletes, you get, you know, uh, your community service people. So hopefully you're able to grab a bunch of different um, students and get um, just a sense of of what the culture and spirit is like on campus. Like, I guess if you were to choose one, to me, that would be a really good one. Um, Library is a close second, although I would say almost any academic building works just to get your hands on and, and your eyes on 
uh, what uh, classrooms look like, what do the lecture spaces look like. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was thinking one time back when I worked in college admissions at Reed, um, there was a group of science students who came, you know, and they were they were trying to be a little cool, you know, and, uh, you know, but I, you know, I took him into the chemistry building and um, and one of the chemistry uh, professors had a moment and was happy to show them a couple of the cool things. And, you know, these cool boys were suddenly like, wow, that's awesome. You yeah, know, like that really, was a great, happy coincidence. Like that yes. was magic at, at, at work. That's great. And I think if you, I mean, in an ideal world, if you can grab on to um, what you think is going to excite the student and you only have one, you know, building to see, for me, that probably would have been seeing, like, the music building and practice rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wanted to see the acoustics. I wanted to see the condition of the spaces. Um, but, yeah, for other kids, maybe, who are STEM-focused, it's to see the chemistry lab or the, the writing um, lab for students who are into the humanities. So there's something for everybody. That's the good thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. And I really, I really want to emphasize what you said, like, park and get out of the car. Don't just yes. look at the grounds. Please. Like, if the grounds are pretty and there's pretty people on the campus, that really doesn't mean you'll be happy. I know you think it does, but it really doesn't. <laughs> I would agree, and I think... Um, you know, sometimes schools, some schools make a bang-up first impression, right? And you drive up and you instantly fall in love, and then you learn a little bit about it, and maybe it feels great and it continues to be a real match. Or maybe it's, like, still very pretty, well-manicured, taken, you know, well-maintained, but um, it's not a great fit. Um, and then the, the opposite sometimes happens. You know, I mean, I know from where my office was at Brandeis, it was right at the, at the front of the admissions building, and um, when my window would be open in nice weather. I could even hear what families were saying as they were entering the building. And, you know, there were some kids who were not excited to be there, did not want to go, did not want to step outside of the car. And then I would see them, you know, an hour and a half later and their attitudes would be completely different. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think whether you love it, um, you know, or don't be willing to give it a fair shake. Mm-hmm. I saw that all the time when I was a high school counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, two best friends would go on a trip to different colleges together. And it was really interesting because so they would obviously compromise. Like one student would want to go to one college, yeah. the other student would want to go to the other. So they'd go to right. both because they were buddies. And the student who thought they would like the college wouldn't necessarily like it. And the student who thought they wouldn't like the college would sometimes fall in love with it. And it was really fascinating to see that. It is so, really interesting. It's also interesting when you when that happens and the student who's really passionate about a school is trying to convince their friend of why, you know, they should give it another shot. I always find that to be really interesting to watch and hear what their reasons are and, you know, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so to kind of dig into this deeper, yeah. um, let's say that a student actually does have time for like a tour or an information sure. session. You know, are there particular questions they should be asking? Um, does it depend on the student or the school? You know, sort of what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I think about this process a lot, um, like if you were purchasing, you know, a home 
or any other big purchase, because that's essentially what a college education is. It's a very large, important purchase, and we want to give it the amount of care and respect it deserves. And so I think even before a student steps out of their car to say, you know, spend two, two and a half hours on campus with a tour and an information session, please do homework. You know, you don't have to spend 35 minutes uh, researching the school, but it's important that you you get a sense for the basics, right? So what uh, what kinds of subject areas is this focus on? Uh, what's the size of the undergraduate student body? If they're grad students, how many are there? What are some of the mean campus activities on campus? 10, 15 minutes. And that way, you know, you're not going to be that person in the information session asking a very obvious question um, that, you know, you could have figured out with two minutes on Google. Um, but let's say that you're in that information session and, you know, you're really enjoying it. You have a question. I think admissions officers are always open um, to questions, um, you know, from, from students as long as they're, you know, easy to comprehend, they're appropriately asked, um, you know, I never minded a question at all. Um, and in terms of some that are helpful, it's, it's a little bit more hit or miss for an information session. Some are very sort of homespun, and so, you know, they can be small sessions. Everybody sits. It's like question and answer. Some have student panels. You know this, Sally. You know, there's a lot of variety in them. Some are very splashy, big, you know, video productions um, that are more like uh, pep rallies almost for the school. Um, but the tours have remained pretty much the same. You know, they're almost all student-led, and um, X amount of students will follow, and that, I think, is really the time to dig your, uh, your teeth into a great visit. So um, some great questions to ask would be, you know, ask the student, what do they like most about the school? Um, what's keeping them there? You know, what gets them excited about being a student at XYZ College? Um, I think that the opposite is also really helpful. So maybe not what, you know, what you don't like about the school, but rather if there's a change you would make about the school, uh, what would it be? Or a challenge that you think the school faces, what would it be? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Sally, a quick, is, is this along the lines that you're that you're thinking of? Did absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Great. No. Absolutely. I was just kind of thinking like a similar yeah. question. Um, is sometimes I would ask students what you know what kind of student wouldn't be as yeah. happy here. Like, is there someone okay. you know? I don't think there's a perfect student for any particular school. I mean, right. there are qualities that make it perfect, but there are probably students that might not be happy at any given school. So students sometimes have insight on that. I would agree with that. And to be, you know, to be fair, I also think now as I, you know, sort of think more about the admissions angle and and, in the information sessions, I also think that's an okay question to ask in an information session. Um, Mm -hmm. That's something that that, uh, both an admissions professional and a student could have really interesting insight into. So I think it's great to ask both people, um, you know, who's most successful slash happiest here, um, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I, and actually, I want to piggyback on that. I think there's a lot of questions where you can ask everyone. I mean, when I worked in college admissions, I wouldn't have worked at a school that I wasn't proud of and that I didn't feel like I could, you know, that I really believed in. So, yeah. 
they could have asked me what I liked most about the school too. And I would have told mm-hmm. them, well, I didn't go here, but here's something that I'm really proud of that right. makes me proud to represent agree. this school. You know, I also worked at an institution I did not attend as a student. Um, and, ha- you know, I'm incredibly loyal to my alma mater, Northwestern, but um, I really fell in love with Brandeis and still have a lot of um, fondness for it. Um, and you're right. What resonated for me was sort of that social justice theme that I have to tell you, this girl from Chicago had no idea really existed um, for Brandeis. But when I got a job there and started learning more about its legacy, it really resonated with me. So I agree um, that the, that you can also ask that same question of what makes you proud of both the student and the admissions professional. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think, like, I, I like to get a sense for kind of what the vibe is on campus, how, how students like to have quote-unquote fun, right? So one of the things I like to ask is about a fun campus tradition. And I think that tells you a lot about um, sort of the way that the campus uh, likes to be playful and how they unwind in stressful times. Um, at Northwestern, people paint the rock. That's a big tradition. We had Primal Scream. I know at some other places, they're a little bit more rowdy, and University of Chicago has the big scavenger hunt. So I think that if you, um, as a prospective student, hear about some of these traditions and you think, wow, that sounds really fun and interesting, it could be up your alley. could be something mm-hmm. to keep in mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think about like schools like MIT and Caltech and Harvey Mudd are pretty famous for their pranks. Yeah, like they have fun by you know building cars on tops of buildings and leaving <laughs> them there. You know, like, right. like some students, everybody thinks that that's hilarious. I think, but not everybody would want to do that. Myself being among the Me people who wouldn't too. actually want yeah. to do that. I mean, that. I, I can tick off automatically people who I, that would really, they would really connect with that. Me, I would be completely amused, but like, I want no part of that. But right. um, yeah, point taken. You know, if it's up your alley, great. If it's not, you know, and uh, then you can decide how you feel about the rest of the school. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Any other yeah. questions to ask of students? And yeah, or, um, yeah. I, I love a good surprise question. So I'm always um, curious, particularly um, for students um, who are attending a school that wasn't their first choice, um, you know, but you assume, so let's say a student ended up at College B when they really wanted to be at College A, and for whatever reason it didn't work out at College A for them. So they're at College B, presumably if they're working as a tour guide, They've really come to love it. Uh, most people who are not into the school don't spend their time in admissions offices. You know, they're mm-hmm. student workers. Um, and so, you know, I always like to ask them, okay, well, what surprised you most about uh, your experience, you know, here? So what's impressed you or surprised you about your peers, faculty? You know, what's the one thing that you never would have envisioned happening and, and it does on a regular basis here? Um, so mm-hmm. I really like that question. I also think it requires a little bit of thought, um, and it's not something that they get asked every day. So I like to, I like to be a little out of the box and ask this. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what I like about that, too, is that if nothing surprised them, then that tells you that maybe this isn't a college where there's a bunch of quirky stuff going on. Agreed. And for some students, that'll be very comfortable. And for other Agreed. students, that just won't be their place. Right. So. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. The other thing, too, and... Um, you know, I, I know that 
the, the concept of outcomes has become a really big thing um, that, that families are concerned about and thinking about as they're considering colleges. And, of course, by outcomes we mean, you know, what happens when that student leaves campus as, a, as an undergrad student? What's their next move? Um, and so I think another great question to ask, even in an information session, but also of students on the tour is, if they can tell me about either broadly career services on campus, so who has access, when do you begin to have access, um, you know, when can you work with them to get an internship, um, do they work with students in all majors, um, I love asking that question of both students and then also of professional staff, so in the admissions office, um, because I think that that's a, a lot of times a hidden treasure or people, families only think about it for um, sort of pre-professional fields like STEM or business. Um, but, you know, as a music major, I wanted to know exactly what was going on in the, in the career services office. And I was really pleased when I found out that there was something for everybody, even your visual artists or your flute performance majors like myself. So career services, I think, is a big win. It's a great question to ask about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So what about when you're um, talking to folks at the admission office, which will sure. probably be at least part of your visit? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think um, part of this depends on the setting, right? So if we're just talking about a casual visit, um, you don't want to monopolize anybody's time uh, necessarily. So this isn't the time to turn it into a personal interview. So, you know, some of these same questions that we've been, been been asking about would work, but also something around activities. So, you know, what's the biggest campus activity here? And, um, you know, what's it like to be an alum once you leave? Are there big sort of pockets in the country where, where alums tend to congregate and what's their experience like typically? Um, if you're interested in professional school after, ask about, um, you know, what happens for someone who's interested in, in physical therapy? What's their path like? So um, I think those kinds of questions in the admissions office on a visit can also be really helpful. And then if you want more data, too, around statistics. So, you know, who gets in, who's not getting in, um, if they have an early program, what's the difference in, in admission between early decision or early action and regular? So some more of those nuts and bolts kinds of questions, if you haven't gotten them in an information session, are great to ask on a visit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, um, just so you know, we only have about two minutes left, okay. but just to, so just to kind of start to wrap things up. Sure. One of the things that's, that I've noticed is that people, sometimes people ask me questions and I'll say, well, you should really ask that of the admission office. They can help you. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, they're not there to help me. They're there to reject me. And I, and I have to yeah. kind of push back and say, no, really, they're there to help you, actually. I mean, most colleges admit most students. So Agreed. I, I kind of just wanted to emphasize that, that they are there to help you in most cases. I couldn't agree more. And I have to say, even when the pendulum swings and you may be a school that um, accepts less than they, um, or denies more than they accept, excuse me, um, that even still, they want people to have a good experience, right? They want to be helpful. They want to put the student at ease, that they're putting forth a really strong essay. They want to help them have a fair shake. So I would absolutely agree that you're right. The vast majority of schools accept over, what, 70% of their applicants or something. And so, you know, they really are there to be helpful, answer great questions. If you have an unusual circumstance, don't be afraid to grab an admissions officer on the side and ask, you know, about your specific circumstance. And, you know, so I think that um, utilizing them and seeing them as a resource is, is um, huge. It's a yeah, absolutely. All right, listen, well, thank you so much, Kira. Yeah, my um, pleasure, Sally. Thanks for yeah. having me. This is fun. 
Absolutely. You too. And um, all right, so we're going to take a short break. But when we get back, we'll be talking about how parents can guide their students through middle school in a way that puts them in a strong position for success in high school. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before the break, our next segment is regarding how parents can guide their students through middle school in a way that best prepares them for success in high school. Luckily, here to help us is Mary Sue Yoon, a, f- a former admissions officer at Barnard and, a- and an educational consultant with College Coach. Welcome, Mary Sue. Hello. Hi, Sally. Hi. So, all right. So this is a pretty big question. I mean, just sort of success, how to prepare for success in high school. That's pretty broad. So let's... Um, yeah. So, so, we'll, so let's kind of focus in to start out with, um, maybe talking about study skills and how to help organize um, a middle mm-hmm. schooler, maybe talk about that to begin with. Sure, sure. So, I mean, I think that middle school for a lot of parents and, and students um, can be, um, it can be kind of a tough time. I mean, there's a lot going on uh, with development, both physical development, neurological development during this time frame. And so, um, and there's also sort of that push for independence. And so many of us, if we thought about our own middle school years, we sort of think about the ways in which we tried to push the boundaries and 
um, maybe the ways in which our parents push back. And so it can be kind of, you know, it's, it's in that middle um, between childhood and, and really the teen and adult years. And so it can be really tough for a lot of kids um, because there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, when you think about kind of the organization and the study skills aspect, um, I think that the nice thing about middle school is that you sort of get a trial run of everything that you're going to do in high school um, in many cases, but but without some of the consequences. So what I mean by that is, you know, the middle school grades really don't matter for a college admission purpose. Um, a student can kind of try different things organizationally or try different things in their study skills. And if they, you know, don't do so well in a particular test or a particular marking period, um, it's not going to have the long-range consequences of if they had more of those academic struggles um, in, like, 11th grade, which might have some long-term consequences about what colleges might, might accept them. So I think it's a good time to kind of try out a few different things, but it is also a time when a lot of kids struggle with this just because as they're developing and growing, the part of the brain that um, deals with organization isn't really fully formed yet. So I, when I advise middle school parents, I'll say, you know, think about what organizational tricks and tips might work for your child. Maybe they're a really visual kid and, and a visual calendar um, with all their assignments might be helpful. Maybe something like a whiteboard where they can get up and cross off assignments when they're done might be super helpful. Or, you know, we're in an electronic age. A lot of kids like electronic calendars, electronic reminders. And as long as those can be used in an effective way and aren't a distraction into kind of the rabbit hole of looking at texting and other things on their phone as they're checking off something, I think those can be great too. So it's kind of trying some different organizational tools and, and seeing how best to get them on track for, you know, getting their homework done, getting it turned in, and remembering things like studying for tests and things. Um, but also it's a good time to kind of try these things out before some of the consequences of the actual grades kind of counting longer term for high school. Mm-hmm. And so when you say try things out before, you know, before they have the longer term consequences, it sounds like you're saying mm-hmm. give them enough uh, sort of um, give them enough space to fail organizationally as yeah, well while they're absolutely. trying these things out. Yeah. So there are studies that show that for an adult, it takes about um, 100 days to come up with a new habit. And so a lot of times kids in this age range particularly, look very much at the short term. So they might, and parents sometimes too, of like you try something for two weeks and, you know, it might not work immediately. Well, my best advice would be to be consistent and try and stick with it. I mean, if it's something that's clearly not working, I'm not saying you have to stick with it for 100 days, but if it's just, if it hasn't really formed as a habit yet, then that's something different. And, and I do think it's a good time to let students kind of step towards independence and, realize the consequences of, you know, if they don't turn in their homework, they might get a zero on that homework. And and that's really okay. It's hard to do as a parent. I'm a parent of a middle schooler um, myself, but it's hard to do. But I think it's a good um, lesson for the student to learn towards independence and to sort of let them try out some things um, so that they do become more independent and, and more engaged from their own, for their own internal reasons, just not just because you know, a parent is telling them to do something. Right, right. And so they don't say, well, unless my mom tells me to do it, I don't have to do it. That right. they really, yeah. Okay. 
All right, great. Um, well, what about academically speaking? Like, how do the mm-hmm. classes that you take in middle school impact you in high school? Are there particular subjects in there to watch? Yeah, so so that's a great question. And middle school is often a time when um, so, some tracking can start, meaning that there'll be sort of different levels of classes for different academic levels of students. So there might be some honors coursework introduced, um, or in certain school districts, it might be called gifted coursework, or um, or there might be more remedial kind of work for a student who's struggling in a particular area. So that idea of tracking and having different students in different levels might start in the middle school years. And, and probably um, two of the areas that um, probably come up m- most frequently in terms of middle school impact um, would be math and uh, world languages. And so just to kind of go through each one of those, m- many families don't realize that the, the math sequence um, that a student might be taking in high school, it's actually a five-year sequence. And so a student who perhaps has a goal of of reaching calculus by the 12th grade year of high school um, really should be in Algebra 1 by 8th grade uh, because the sequence would tend to go Algebra 1, then Geometry, then Algebra 2, then something like Pre-Calculus or Trigonometry, and then Calculus. And so that's a five-year sequence. And so a student who has a goal of eventually being in a calculus class by 12th grade, which, which might be a goal for many students who are interested in something like science and math areas um, or uh, engineering, or increasingly a lot of business areas are asking for that calculus level, um, then they would have to start that sequence, you know, in their middle school years. And so that's being in a more advanced track um, of math in middle school if, if that track is offered. Um, and so it depends on the high and the middle school as to how that tracking happens. Sometimes it's based on teacher recommendations. Sometimes it's based on grades the previous year. Um, but the middle school math sequence can actually determine what math you might be eligible for later on in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, you know, world languages, there may be opportunities for students to take world languages in middle school and then potentially continue those world languages, um, but that somewhat varies based on school. So some schools might start world languages as early as, you know, we're talking like French and Spanish, um, might start them as early as sixth grade, some not till seventh grade, some not till eighth grade, and some students might not start that foreign language or world language sequence until ninth grade. Um, but it, it, that one's a little tougher to sort of make a generality on because there are different things, but where a student starts their world language may determine what level they can then start in in high school. Um, and, you know, some students might even start over. So uh, there's, there's different opportunities. I don't know if you had a preference as an admissions officer of whether a student sort of stuck with the same language or sort of started a new language in, in, in high school. But I, I think that there's opportunities kind of to do both. Sure. I mean, it, it, and obviously it depends on the school, the most selective school. You're going to be competing against students who are in, you know, AP, whatever language. And to do that, you probably need to start that language class in middle school, I'm guessing. Uh, other colleges mm-hmm. it, might not yeah. need all that. Right. In, in general, yes. You, you might have to start it if you're looking at sort of the top most selective universities. Um, but in, our recommendation overall, though, is that um, a student, whenever they're starting language, 
if they're starting if they're starting in middle school, it's not that taking world language in middle school is exempting the student from taking that uh, taking some world language study in high school, and that's a common fallacy that oh, my child took it in seventh and eighth grade, so they'll be in Spanish three in ninth grade, so that's all they need to take. They just need to take, and that's actually not true from my experience in admissions. That we would generally like to see for sort of the moderately selective schools, three years of foreign language in high school, um, so not really counting the, the middle school years. Um, and for the most highly selective schools, it would really be four years uh, of foreign language in high school. Mm-hmm. So that, that is a distinction that's important to make. Yeah, absolutely. I do. I do think, though, that schools that are less selective, that are sort of, um, you know, let's say admitting the majority of the students who apply, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're probably going to be okay with two years and done. Yeah. So really, yeah. 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 It is very, it's very directly relational sort of to the level of selectivity of the colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. and sort of what that college's goal is. I mean, sometimes sort of engineering technical schools are a little less, um, stringent about their foreign language requirements where, uh, the real humanities based liberal arts colleges might be stricter about it because, they expect that the student is going to be taking foreign language as part of their core curriculum or general education requirements at the college. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. And those are definitely questions that came up, come up a lot. I was talking yesterday to, um, I was advising yesterday a family of a student who was absolutely top a plus in everything interested in university of Pennsylvania and, you know, took three years of foreign language and figured he was done but he was thinking about an English major. So he wasn't going to, you know, I said, you know what, you probably need to pick it up again, take at least one more year. So, um, all right. Yep. Yeah. So let's think about um, extracurricular activities. You know, why Mm -hmm. would they even be important in middle school? I think people know that they're important in high school by and large, but a lot of people think, oh, I just want my kid to go home and relax in middle school. So what are you, what are your thoughts about that? Um, so, again, m- much the same way I was talking about sort of exploring with study skills and uh, in some ways you can explore as well in extracurricular activities. And so my advice for lots of middle school families is, is really to allow your child to try lots of different things in, in middle school. Um, it tends to be a time when there's kind of some peaks and valleys in motivation and you know, I, th- I think that's totally normal. There's going to be times in all of our lives when we're not as motivated to do something. And so maybe if your kid's been playing soccer for several years, when they go into middle school and they say, suddenly, I hate soccer, I don't want to be playing soccer anymore, it's a really a moment where you as a parent have to think, okay, do I um, let them, you know, stop playing soccer, which I think they've enjoyed in the past, but maybe they're having a temporary lull about, or do I sort of push them to stay on with it. And I think that that's really an individual kind of case-by-case decision. Um, but my, my best advice in sort of the middle school years is really to have the student kind of cast their net pretty widely and try a few different things in, in the middle school years so that when they're transitioning to the high school, when they're transitioning to ninth grade, um, they have probably two or three activities that they really are going to think of as their anchor activities, these things that will help give them confidence and help them um, help push them um, 
in sort of other areas of their life too and help sort of help them find a peer group, help them um, sort of develop their skills in a different way. So, you know, from my own experiences, I know there was a point in middle school where um, I had always been in, involved in instrumental music and also played the piano. And I sort of turned to my mom and said, I don't like any of this anymore. I don't want to be in instrumental music. Um, and so I think that practicing is annoying, and so, you know, let me quit. And so she actually let me quit the piano lesson, so I didn't do piano anymore, but she said, look, I think you really like music, and um, so she said, you know, I really think you should stick with being involved in instrumental music, and so um, somewhat begrudgingly, I signed up when I got to high school for band and for instrumental music, and I have to say it's one of the best pieces of advice that my mother ever gave me, although she's given me much great advice because, you know, many, many years later now, um, I'm still involved in music and it's still something that I love as kind of my catharsis and my, you know, kind of go-to activity. And so that's something that I would sort of wish on every student, that they find the thing that kind of anchors them or helps them find their place in the high school world, Um, whether it's music or sports or volunteering or it doesn't really matter what it is, um, but just find the thing that the student loves to do and they get excited to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that can only really be done through exploration. Right. Yeah, this isn't quite, It's this isn't exactly an extracurricular, but I think it's similar. A friend of mine, her son loved math and science. He was thinking about engineering and they had an engineering activity day at his middle school. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, Riley, this is great. Are you going to go to this? And he said, no, I'm not going to go. None of my friends are going, so I'm not going. And so she said, look, I, I guess I'm just going to be a hol- helicopter mom right now. And and actually, this, this friend of mine really is not a helicopter mom. She really isn't. But she said, you know, I'm putting my foot down and you're going because this I know is something you're interested in. So he, he went to it begrudgingly. And then he came out saying, that was so cool. And I love that. And I'm going to join the robotics club. And, you know, I mean, it was clearly this incredible experience. So it does seem like sometimes you have to push them past the objections that are not as meaningful, like my friends aren't in it. Well, you're going to have to do things without your friends sometimes. Right, right. Yeah. And sometimes it's giving them an alternate. So sometimes the kid really doesn't want to do that activity anymore. So the, the, sort of parenting moment might be, okay, so what, if you let this go, what else are you going to pick up to try? Not just, you know, I'm letting everything go and sort of spending the afternoon sitting on the couch. So um, it's, it's providing alternates for them at times too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But making sure they, they know they have to be doing something. Now kind of on yeah. that, sort of on that topic in general, um, are do you have any... And just so you know, we have about two minutes left, but do you have mm-hmm. any suggestions of resources that might be helpful for parents, books that they could use, you know, just any sort of resources? Um, so there's a few resources that I really like for sort of parenting during the middle school years. Um, there's a book uh, called Middle School Makeover by Michelle Icard. Um, I apologize if she happens to be listening or someone, I'm not, I don't know if it's Icard or Icard, but I-C-A-R-D. Um, and so that's sort of about parenting during the middle school years. Um, there's a book called Motivation Breakthrough, um, which talks about some of these motivational issues and challenges. Um, and that author is Richard Lavoie, L-A-V-O-I-E. Um, and uh, I guess, you know, there's another book sort of about organization generally called Organizing the Disorganized Child. And that's really about organization and note-taking. And if you have a kid who really struggles with organization challenges, uh, that's a great reference 
to pick up as well. Um, so those are some ones, but I, I think really it's, it's thinking about, you know, kind of trying out some different pieces during these middle school years so that you're setting a really great foundation for high school. And, and that's really, to me, the ultimate goal is that academically, study skills-wise, activities-wise, that foundation is being set during these middle school years. Mm-hmm. And part of that foundation means letting them fail if necessary. Yeah. 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 Sometimes it, yeah. I mean, not everybody's going to fail, but I mean, for some of them, it's, it's sort of letting them take the reins and sometimes moving from being always the one who's telling to being more in a role where you're kind of taking a back seat and letting them make a decision and learning mm-hmm. the consequences from that decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Well, listen, Mary, thank you so much. I think this was, um, there were some really helpful tips in here. And as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking about all the middle schoolers that I know. (laughs) So, (laughs) all right. So um, everyone, we're going to take another short break, but then we'll be discussing how to find financial aid after you've submitted the FAFSA. So thanks so much. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back for our third and final segment. 
While not all of you will be applying for financial aid, you might still want to listen to Shannon Vasconcelos, college finance expert, who will be here to tell us about what you can do in the winter and spring of your senior year, basically what you can do right now to find money for college. Welcome, Shannon. Hi, Sally. I'm glad to be here. Um, So, Shannon, the next month or two tends to be kind of a dead zone for families thinking about paying for college. They likely have already or or certainly will shortly submit their financial aid applications, and now they're just waiting to hear back from financial aid offices. Um, Is there anything more or anything at all that they can do at this point to get some money for college other than sitting around and waiting? Yeah, and I think that that's definitely the case. A lot of people just kind of sit around and and worry during this time frame. They've got the aid applications in, and they're just waiting to hear back from the schools, uh, and they don't think that there's much they can do other than worry, but there actually are... Uh, a, a number of things that I think students and parents can be doing right now that will definitely make the, the college payment process go a lot smoother for them, make it a lot easier for them to pay for college. Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah. So what is the first thing you should do after submitting your aid applications? Yeah, I think the very first thing you should do after submitting your aid applications is to let the colleges know if you have any special financial circumstances, any circumstances at all that weren't really reflected uh, on your financial aid applications. For folks who filled out the FAFSA, they may know this, that you know, even though the FAFSA form has kind of an intimidating reputation, um, they really actually ask relatively few questions on the FAFSA. They ask, you know, what was your adjusted gross income? What did you pay for taxes? What money do you have in the bank? Not a heck of a lot more than that. And that really, as you can imagine, doesn't tell the whole story for, for a huge amount of people. So if you have any circumstances that aren't really reflected through those numbers, you should definitely let the aid offices know about that. Okay, so what are some common examples of special circumstances that people might want to tell them about? Yeah, so if your financial circumstances have changed at all since... Um, since the year of income, basically, that they're asking about on the FAFSA. So if you're a current high school senior filling out the FAFSA now, they're asking about your 2015 income and your parents' 2015 income. Now, is that reflective of your family's income moving forward? Perhaps a parent has lost a job or taken some sort of pay cut. Um, Maybe you had a big like capital gain in 2015 and that's not going to be repeated in future years because you sold off a bunch of stocks or you took an IRA withdrawal. Those are things that kind of inflate your income, at least on the financial aid applications, but don't really, uh, you know, make a big difference to your actual financial circumstances. So you would want to let the college know about that. Do you have high medical expenses? Are you maybe supporting an elderly relative, uh, you know, sending money overseas to support family back home? Are you paying for private high school for a younger sibling? None of those things are asked about on the FAFSA form, and they obviously make a huge, huge difference to a family's financial circumstances. So those are all very common things that you certainly should let the college financial aid offices know about if they apply to you. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Great. And so what is the best way to let colleges know about these circumstances? Do you call them up? Um, What do you do? Yeah, the best thing to do is put it in writing. The aid offices absolutely need everything in writing. 
Um, they have to be able to justify if they get audited, which does happen um, very regularly by the government. The aid offices get, offices get audited. They have to be able to prove if they change somebody's financial aid award that there was the reason to do so. So absolutely put the request in writing. You can send it you know, through snail mail. Uh, email is also absolutely fine. The biggest thing, though, is that the aid offices love facts figures, documentation. So document everything that you can. You know, if, if a parent lost a job, you know, include a copy of the termination notice. Um, if it's high medical expenses, you know, include receipts of all of your medical bills. Um, whatever you do, put it in writing and document everything. That's what the aid offices really need if they're going to consider adjusting uh, kind of their normal calculations, making an exception for you based on your special circumstances. They need everything documented. Okay, so if you're applying for financial aid, you're really going to need to have your papers well organized, everything to do with your expenses, it sounds like. Exactly right, yep. Yeah, yeah, okay. So that's good to know. Um, All right, anything else you need to do in relation to your aid application to the schools? Yeah, one thing that needs to happen during this time frame as well is updating your FAFSA to reflect your actual tax data. So most people uh, are filling out the FAFSA right now with estimates uh, because many uh, financial aid application deadlines come up in February, so a lot of people are doing the FAFSA in January. It's asking about your 2015 tax data, and almost no one has actually done their taxes yet. Um, You're still waiting for W-2s to come in. Um, So most people have to initially fill out the FAFSA with estimates. Now, when you fill out the FAFSA, it does instruct you if you're using estimates on this form, you do have to go back into the form once you have your actual tax data and correct the numbers, make sure that we eventually get the accurate information in there. So doing taxes as soon as you possibly can and updating your FAFSA is a really good use of this kind of dead zone time in the financial aid process. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what would happen if you did not update that information? Uh, it's very possible that nothing would happen if you're not selected for verification is what it's called by the government. Um, you, your FAFSA may just go through with your estimates. You'll get your financial aid. Nothing bad will ever happen. Um, that's the case at some schools. Um, there are other schools who do what they call 100% verification, and they will eventually ask for um, either physical copies of your tax returns or they'll ask you to import your tax data into your FAFSA form eventually. Now, many schools, they're not asking for this actual tax data uh, until uh, like May 1st is kind of a, a common deadline. So what can happen is the school will send you a tentative financial aid offer based on your estimates and then they eventually want your tax returns. That could be after May 1st, after you've already chosen the school, deposited at the school uh, based on uh, their financial aid estimate. But if your uh, estimates on the FAFSA were way off, once they see your actual tax returns, they reserve the right to change your financial aid offer. uh, And you could have deposited at the school thinking you could afford it. And when, in fact, you get your final financial aid offer, you cannot afford it. You don't want that to happen. So that's why it's really important to try and get your taxes done as soon as you can. Correct the FAFSA so it reflects your actual tax data. That way you'll get the most accurate financial aid offer as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, great. Um, Now, is there any way to find money for colleges outside of the college aid offices? In other words, you know, money for college that that doesn't come from the college itself. 
Yeah, this is the perfect time to be looking for some private scholarships um, that you can apply for. There's all sorts of organizations out there that give away money. They give away scholarship funds that you can take to any college. Um, and, uh, you know, I recommend to folks that they actually start keeping an eye out for scholarships much, much earlier on in high school um, so that they, they know what's out there and they can prepare to be the best candidate for, for any scholarships that they find. But now's really the crunch time. If you haven't started looking for scholarships yet, do it now. There are lots of deadlines uh, for private scholarships popping up in the springtime. Um, so now is the perfect time to pinpoint uh, a, a handful of private scholarships that you're going to want to go after. Mm-hmm. And what's the best way to find this money? Yeah, so certainly do some online searches. Um, scholarships.com is a good scholarship search site um, that I tend to recommend to people. Also, feel free to just run some you know, basic web searches, just you know, searching for the word scholarship with any kind of key characteristics you know, that apply to your child, you know, their race, religion, ethnic background, the field of study they're going into, um, medical conditions they have, activities they belong to. Certainly do some web searches. You can um, sometimes find some money that way. The, the catch with any of the, the online scholarships that you find is that everybody is finding them. The Internet has made it almost too easy to find scholarships. They've become very hard to win uh, because you just have so much competition they, because every Every you know, high school senior right now is, are finding all the same scholarships. You have a lot of competition. I definitely, definitely recommend pursuing um, local kind of community-based scholarships first, where the applicant pool is kind of automatically narrowed down for you to just the folks you know, in your town. You know, check in with employers, um, any community organizations that you're a member of, and definitely the high school guidance counselor who usually kind of organizes the process of applying for local community-based scholarships. Scholarships. The high school guidance office is your best resource for tracking down um, local scholarships, which usually aren't for huge amounts of money, but they tend to be much, much easier to actually win than anything that you find online. Yeah, I was actually a high school counselor um, um, as well as working in admission offices, and it was kind of hilarious to me that these scholarships would come and I would get a packet like it was 30 years ago, and it was paper, and everything was done by paper. And I thought, yeah. are these people not aware that we're in the year 2006? <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it was it was clear to me that a lot of the people running these community organizations were, you know, they were older and retired, and they weren't as comfortable with the web. So, they, yeah. so my students really had to go through me. Um, yeah. So. And if they didn't exactly. tell me they were interested. If it's not online, not a lot of people are finding it. So you just naturally have a much met- better chance of winning any of those kind of local paper-based scholarships. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the other piece I want to emphasize is that if that student didn't, I wasn't going to pay for every single student. So if that student didn't tell me mm-hmm. they were looking for scholarships, I didn't, I didn't give this to them. They had yep. to tell me. So that's something right. else I like to emphasize, too. Yeah, being proactive is key. Mm-hmm. All right, so we have um, we have just a couple minutes left, um, but I th- and I think we've done a great job of covering how to get money from schools and private organizations. But is there any other way to get some money for college um, while you're waiting to hear back from schools? Yeah, I think the other thing to be doing right now, and it's maybe very old school and probably goes without saying, but now's a good time for your student to maybe work and and save a little bit of extra money. You know, maybe now that the big college application season is over, uh, maybe they've got, you know, a little more time on their hands. They can put in, you know, a few extra hours at that after-school job and start socking some money away. 
um, you know, when it comes down to September and uh, they're actually at school and trying to figure out a way to to get by, you know, on very little money. You know, anything they've managed to save throughout, you know, the spring and summer is is going to be invaluable uh, to them. You know, I remember when I was in college and sometimes I'd come home on a weekend and my dad would fill out my car with gas and, and put a $20 bill in the cup holder. And that $20 was like gold to me <laughs> for a college student. That's a lot of money. Of course, this was a number of years ago. Maybe it's not gold to college students today. But really, anything a college student can kind of sock away now is going to be a big help when they're trying to, you know, buy books and buy pizza and, you know, just kind of budget their money to live through, through a semester. Um, some students choose not to work while they're at college. So whatever they can save up now will only help them. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. But will earning some extra money hurt you in the financial aid process? It really shouldn't. So now it's after you've submitted the aid applications for this year. So nothing will change for this first year's financial aid, certainly. Um, Whatever you earn in this year is going to kind of show up on a future financial aid application. But there's actually an allowance built into the financial aid formula of over $6,000, an allowance against student income, meaning basically students can earn up to just over $6,000 a year, and it has absolutely no effect on the financial aid calculation. So, you know, if this, you know, just boosts their earnings a little bit, you're still under $6,000, doesn't affect financial aid at all. Um, Also, the aid application will ask about what money they do have a student has in savings, but, you know, presuming they're just working a little bit extra hours to kind of see them through that, you know, that fall semester, anything they've already spent by the time they're applying for aid next spring, is not going to come back to haunt them at all. So I think that there's very little danger of, of really endangering any financial aid by putting in a few extra hours and saving a little bit of extra money. Okay, great. Well, we're out of time now, Shannon, but thank you so much. You're very um, welcome. Yeah, and thanks to all my guests today. We have a great lineup for next week's show that I want to tell you about. Beth Heaton will be returning as your host, and she'll be discussing what seniors should do now that their applications are in. She'll also be talking to one of our finance experts about financial aid for transfer students. And finally, just a reminder that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download every show for free on iTunes. And if you you like our show please be sure to rate us on itunes it only takes a moment of your time and it's absolutely free last don't forget we're here every thursday at 4 p.m eastern time 1 p.m pacific time check us out and thanks so much thank you for tuning in to getting in a college coach conversation hosted by elizabeth heaton Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. 